Brothers and sisters, if you would, please turn with me in your Bibles this morning to our, our text, which comes from the Gospel of Mark. So we'll be looking at verses 28 to 34 this morning. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 34. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 34. Brothers and sisters, if you would then, please hear with me the reading of God's holy word. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that He is one and there is no other besides Him. And to love Him with all your heart and with all the understanding, with all your strength, and to love one's neighbor as yourself is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that He answered wisely, He said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, No one dared to ask Him any more questions. Thus far as the reading of God's Word. Now this morning, the onslaught continues as Jesus seems to be going through this never-ending gauntlet of opponents who are approaching Him with questions, seeking Him to answer them. Last week, if you remember, it was the Sadducees asking Him about Leveret marriage and the bodily resurrection. The week before that, it was the Pharisees and the Herodians asking Him about the tribute tax to Caesar. But what we tend to see throughout the Gospel is that many of Jesus' encounters with His detractors center on or include matters dealing with the law. And though this shouldn't be surprising to us, this should not be something that is shocking to us for the The Jews hold the law in greatest importance. In fact, the the, the Jews counted 613 laws in the writings of Moses. And of those 613 laws, they debated them in fine detail. They even separated those laws. 365 of them were negative commandments. 248 of them were positive commandments. And even amongst those commandments, they they debated even more. Which was most important? Which was least important? Which were the the weightier matters of the law? Which were the, the lighter matters of the law? But all of this was done in order that they might be able to to measure themselves up against the law of God. Right? The the law of God was a, a measuring stick for them. How pious am I in respect to the law of God? They wanted to see right, how, how, how do I stack up or how does my neighbor stack up in comparison to someone else in their adherence to God's law and in, in particular in adherence to, to the important and, and weighty matters of the law. 
And so it is with this as the background then that the scribe approaches Jesus today after hearing Jesus answer the, the Sadducees well. And now he comes with a question of his own for Jesus. And of course, being a scribe, those who are experts in the law, he comes with a question about the law for Jesus to answer. And we're told what that question is at the end of verse 28. He asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of them all? He's asking, what is the commandment we must be sure to keep? What is the commandment we must be sure to do if we want to have favor with God and remain in right standing with God? And I want us to see, he says, which, which is the commandment? He's asking, what, what is a commandment? What is the commandment? And Jesus responds, not with one commandment, but with two. He replies in verse 29 saying, The most important is hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. But he doesn't stop there. He says, the second is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. Now this morning, it is the the first of these two commandments that we want to look at together. We're going to focus our attention upon verses 28 to 30 this morning. And when we return next week, we're going to conclude then by looking at verses 31 to 34. But before we, we press on in our study of verses 28 to 30, I want us to see how Jesus responds in giving both of those commandments. Right? How does He respond in, in both of those commandments? Well, he responds by saying it is man's duty to God's law can really be reduced to one word. Love. Right? Man's duty to God's law can be reduced to one word, and that one word is love. And yet, although that, that single word sums up our duty to the law, it ought to teach us also how incredibly high God's standard is for His people in in, 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 in doing those duties that God has given to us, in what He has required of us, in both God and to man. And in seeing that, in, in seeing the, the high standard that God has given unto us, to follow, to, to love God and man, it ought to humble us, seeing that none of us has been able to do this very thing. Right? Which of us here would, would raise our hands to God and say, God, I would like you to, to judge me according to this standard. None of us would do that. Then why is it so often people, instead of being shut up by the law, use the law to justify themselves? Right? They use it as a a measuring stick as the Jewish leaders try to do. It's because they don't understand the full extent of the law. They don't understand what the law requires for if man did. They would see what a terrible thing it is to try to stack yourselves up against the law. And so today then, as we turn our attention to the the first of these great commandments. We want to ask three questions concerning what our Lord is teaching here in response to to what the scribe has asked Him in order that we might understand, learn, and grow from it. And so the three questions that that we want to ask are these. First, what does the number one commandment convey to us? What does this number one commandment convey to us? Second, how do we go about fulfilling it? How do we go about fulfilling it? And third, why is Jesus' response so important? 
Why is Jesus' response so important? So point number one, what does this number one commandment convey to us? Now, we've already said that Jesus responds with two commandments. Essentially can be broken down into love God and love neighbor. Now, love God really covers the first table of the moral law. Those are our duties towards God. To love neighbor covers the second table of God's moral law, which is our requirement or our duties to man. But I want us to see, how does Jesus respond? Which comes first in his response? What is the the primary commandment? What is the foundational commandment? It is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because without this commandment, you can do no other. Without loving God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength, you cannot love your neighbor as yourself. Now this commandment that Jesus gives is not a new commandment, brothers and sisters. This is an old commandment. Jesus is pulling from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5 here and quoting this, which Moses gave and was instructed to, to, by God to, to teach the Israelites. And, and this was a, a confession that the Israelites confessed and said every day and every night. And this is what we call the Shema. This was the, that confession that they, that they said and that they were to, to teach their children to recite day after day after day. And so what Jesus teaches us by quoting the Shema first before telling us to love our neighbor as ourself is that God comes first. That is what he's telling us. God comes first. That what is most important is love to God before all others, even ourselves. That is what Jesus is teaching us. Love to God comes first, even before ourselves or anyone else. And brothers and sisters, is this not contrary to to the way the world works today and and what we are being taught today? And what our children's friends are teaching them today and what they hear going on outside in society today? What are we told? That we are to put ourselves first. That we are to love ourselves most. That we are to have ourselves as the as the, the number one priority in our, in our lives. Right? We are to be that. Right? Oftentimes you hear when people get divorced for all sorts of, of frivolous and unbiblical reasons, oftentimes what you hear one spouse will say is, I finally decided to put myself first. Right? They'll, they'll say, I, I've decided to, to love myself, right? to do what, what I desire, what I need. And what happens is they're so often applauded for this. But Jesus teaches the Christian the exact opposite. We are to love God above our own lives. We are to love God above all goods and possessions. We are to love God above anyone else in this world. This is what Jesus teaches us in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 37. Whoever loves mother, father, son, or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You know, I think this is what the the problems in the world can be boiled down to. As we we flick on the news, right, and we shake our heads at what's going on in the world, we we look out at what's going on in the world and we say, what is wrong with this place? Well, they don't love God. That's what the problems of the world can be boiled down to. They do not love God. And yet, brothers and sisters, how can they love God? How can they love God? It is not in their nature to love God. And we don't say that boastfully because it wasn't in our nature to love God either. Right? We, we, we enter this world not as God, God lovers, but as God haters. 
And so then we have to ask, is this commandment that Jesus gives us to, to love God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself, is this an, an unreasonable commandment to give? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And in fact, it ought to be a reproof to the ungodly. Because every single day they take from God. They draw their breath from God. They think and function by the grace of God. Their existence is sustained by God. And so they take and they take and they take from Him. And yet they refuse to love God. Brothers and sisters, there are many professing Christians who sit in the pews who likewise do not love God. They may think they love God because they get tingly or feelings and butterflies in their tummy when they talk about God. But brothers and sisters, that isn't biblical love. That's not what the Bible teaches us. The word for love here is a verb. And a verb conveys an action, a condition, a state. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, we are told, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 15, If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 1-3, to we are told this, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. And so I want us to see, brothers and sisters, love is not a a bubbly feeling inside, but biblical love is a love that is shaped by faith in Christ. And love's true objects are God and neighbor, and especially the the, the Christian brothers and sisters, the, the body of Christ. True love likewise is obedience to God's will. This is what true love is. I want us to see also that you can neither say that you, you, you can't say that you love God but not love His Son. You can't love God but not love His Savior whom He sent into the world. Right? To love God is to love Christ. And so how do we learn then to love God more? How do we learn to love God as we ought to love God? It is by growing in knowledge of God. What grounds our love, brothers and sisters, is knowledge. Grounds our love for God is knowledge. Jesus prefaces the first commandment by saying this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. He reminds them of the truth of what they know about God. That to love God is to recognize that He is the only God. He is God alone. They were taught to call Him our God. That He was a God who was in relationship with them. This was something they were to recite and to teach their children to remember. They were to remember and confess that it was God who brought them out of captivity. That it was God who made promise to them, promises to them in the covenant. That it was God who made His presence known to them in the tabernacle, in the temple. They were to recognize that He was a highly personal God to them who revealed so many things about Himself to them. And He did so in order that they might learn to grow in love for Him and obedience towards Him. Because how can we love that which we don't know? How can you love what you don't know? This is why we're told in Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, that my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. But this is why God graciously has revealed Himself so that we can know Him. Yet, 
He revealed Himself so that we can know Him through His Son. To know the Father apart from the Son is a terrifying thing. For He is a God of judgment. To know Him through the Son is a glorious thing because then you know Him as Father. This is why it is so important, brothers and sisters, to continue to grow in knowledge about God, yet understanding that all that we will know about God will only be a drop in the bucket. Right? For the finite cannot, cannot plumb the depths of the infinite God to know all that there is to know about Him. But our love for Him ought to cause us to want to know everything is that we can know about Him. Everything that He has revealed about Himself to us in His Word. And let me use this as an opportunity to plug Sunday school. I know that for some of you, it's, it's, it's too difficult to be here because you come from so far away, but everyone else here, what reason do we have to not come on the Lord's Day for an extra half hour to learn more about our God? Who is not desirous of that? Especially on the Lord's Day. Right now, brothers and sisters, we are studying in Sunday school the doctrine of God. We are studying the attributes of God. And every week we are coming to learn about God more and more. And we draw in closer fellowship and closer union with God. We, every week we are given new reasons to pray to God and to worship God and to have fellowship with God and to stand back in awe of God. Who, of here, who amongst us here is, is not desirous of that? And so this is what Jesus is trying to convey to the scribe and all who were around in that day. If you want to know what the greatest commandment is, it's not, did you wash your hands before you ate? It's not, did you take the allotted amount of steps on the Sabbath day? It's not, did you, or did you not pull your animal out of a ditch? It is, do you love God above all? And loving God above all means loving His Son as your Savior. It means loving His people. It means being in covenant with Him. It means obeying His will. It means desiring to grow in knowledge of God. Because without loving God, none of us can expect to obey any of the other commandments that God has given to us. To try and attempt to, to do the second table, right? To, to, to render to our neighbor what is owing to our neighbor, without loving God, is nothing more than moralism. That's all it is. And yet, the more you know Him, the more it will cause you to love Him, and the more you are enabled to glorify Him. I mean, brothers and sisters, are we not concerned with the worship of God? Worship is tied to knowledge. You can only worship God to the degree that you know God. And so let us grow in our knowledge of God. Let us be desirous of that. That we might love God more. That we might be able to worship God better. This then leads us to our second point this morning. Which is how do we go about fulfilling this command? Once again, let us remind ourselves of what Jesus says in verse 30. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And with all your strength. I want you to see here, four times Jesus uses the word all. Four times He repeats it. Right, Jesus is saying if you want to obey this command to love God, you must love Him completely, fully, perfectly, and permanently. This is the love that the law demands. And for that love to be complete, 
perfect, full and permanent. It must be a love to God with our entire being. Right? With, with every faculty that you and I have been endowed with by God. This is what heart, soul, mind and strength denote. Right? That, that the love that God demands is not a half-hearted love. It is not a, a cold-hearted love. It is not, a, it is not an indifferent love. It is not a sometimes love. It is not a, a maybe love. But it is an all-encompassing love. It is an all-enduring love out of both body and soul. It is a love that is totally devoted to God. A love that causes us to yield up ourselves to God. Yield our lives to Him. Our thought life, our actions, our desires, our motives, every area of our life given up to God. Jesus really here is describing for us the, the properties of right love towards God. And that is a love in its entirety. It is a love in its entirety. God will not have His bride give the love that is owing to Him to another. He will not allow His bride to, to play the harlot with the world. That's why you cannot both love God and the world. God wants the, the whole heart of those who are His. He wants your whole entire heart. Also then, what this teaches us is that our love to God must likewise be a sincere love. And our love must be a sincere love. So many love God because of what He can give to them. But, but true love for God does not have self-interest in it. Right? There is no self-interest involved in true love. It's not based on what God gives to us, but rather it purely flows out of who God is. Right? So many love God because of what God God's gifts, but not God. But we are to love God because He is clothed in splendor and majesty. That is the reason that we are to love God. Likewise, brothers and sisters, and we are to love God with an ardent love. Right? We, our love towards God ought to be an intense love. Right? Think about how you love your spouse and your children. Right? Do you not love them daily? And do you not love them by the things that you do and the things that you say throughout the day? Well, how much more are we to offer that same love to God in all of our daily actions and in everything that we think, say, and do? In addition, the believer's love is to be an active love. Not only is it to be sincere and ardent, it is to be active. Love is not something that is idle. Love cannot sit idle. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. As he gives thanks to God for the labor of love of those saints. We are to labor in love. Don't think that you can simply love God by your speech. Rather, brothers and sisters, there must be tokens of that love offered to God each and every day. We must continually be offering tokens of love. Husbands, you offer your love, you show your love for God and tokens of that love when you love your wife sacrificially. Right? Parents, you show your love for God and you, you, you offer up tokens of that love when you raise your children in the nurture and instruction of the Lord. Right? Wives, you show God tokens of that love when you submit to your husbands and you honor and respect them. All of us show our love to God and tokens of that love every single day as we read His Word and we believe His Son. Right? And we, we worship together as a family. 
You show tokens of your love towards God when you see someone in need and you engage in acts of mercy. You show God tokens of your love towards Him. When brothers and sisters come together and they serve one another and they encourage one another in the faith. You show tokens of your love towards God when you come and you bring your tithes and offerings. In that way, you show your love towards God. Now I want us to see though how true love presupposes faith. Right? You cannot love God if you are an unbeliever. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, John writes this, We love Him because He first loved us. Earlier, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, we are told, By this we know love, that Jesus laid down His life for us. You see, when Moses was, was calling the people to confess that God was their God, in the Shema, he was, he was calling them to faith in God. And that through faith they would come to love God, the God who was theirs. And they were, and they were His. That is what He was calling them to. Right? God was not the God of the Amalekites. He was not the God of the Philistines. He was the God of Israel. And I want us to see that the same holds true today. Today, God is the God of His church, of His body. Right? He is not the God of us in the same way that He is the God of the world. He does not love us in the same way that He loves the world. Only when we are enabled to love God, brothers and sisters, are we able to, to call on Him as He brings us into this new covenant through the blood of Christ, gathering us together as one people, shedding His love abroad in our hearts so that now we may respond in love. A love that is formed and fashioned and molded out of a faith grounded in our Savior. And yet, brothers and sisters, I, I must confess something to you here this morning. I must confess something to you. Something that I'm ashamed of. But I must confess it. It is a reality. And it is a reality that I must be confronted with. Especially upon hearing this text. And that is not, not for a moment. Not for a second, not for a minute in my entire life have I ever loved God in this way. Never have I loved God with all my heart and all my soul and all my strength and all my mind. This is what the Pharisees and scribes and the Sadducees failed to realize, seeking to be justified by it. Jesus is trying to get the scribe to see. You must look away from yourself. Look away from your own self-righteousness. Look away from a religion of works because a religion of works is a religion of vanity. Any religion without the love here described biblically is a worthless religion. And yet, brothers and sisters, who amongst us here today can say that we have loved God in this way? None of us can say that we have loved God in this way. And so the question is, are we not doomed because we have not loved God in the way that He has commanded us to love Him? And the answer is, we would be. We would be doomed if not for one. For there is one who has loved God perfectly. There is one who has loved God with all His heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that one is Jesus Christ. This leads us then into our third and final point this morning, which is why Jesus' response is so important. 
Brothers and sisters, Jesus' response is so important because it's something that all people need to know. Right? We need to understand what are the righteous requirements of the law. And then we need to see that we fall woefully short of them. We need to see ourselves as rotten. We need to be humbled by the law. This is what the Jewish leaders failed to be. They failed to be humbled by the law. It was just a few weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago, a month or two ago, that we read that text of the rich young ruler. If you remember, he comes up to Jesus, how may I inherit eternal life? And what does Jesus do? He shows to him the law, the second table of the law. And what was that man's response? All that you have said, I have done. Right? The Jewish leaders have failed to realize the spiritual nature of the law. That it is not something that just can be performed outwardly, but it is something that must be performed inwardly as well. And no one, none of us can keep it. And so in hearing but never understanding, and seeing but never perceiving, they continue to store wrath for themselves on the day of judgment. Yet there is good news that God has made a way of escape. That if they would rend their garments, hit their knees, cry out to God in total surrender and faith in His Son, they would be forgiven. For Christ has come to do what you and I could not do. Right? This was the mission of the Son. To fulfill the law. This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. And because of that, brothers and sisters, then what is true of you and I? Because Christ has fulfilled the law, what is true of you and I? Well, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law may be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We need to see that Christ has fulfilled the law through both His passive and His active obedience. So that Christ's righteousness now is reckoned to us. Right? His, His righteousness has been imputed to us. So that Christ's fulfillment of the law, Christ perfectly, perpetually and personally loving God with all heart, soul, mind and strength has become ours now in Christ. So that now we are legally justified. Not by our own works, but by the works of Christ who did all things well who accomplished everything that the Father had sent Him to accomplish. And He accomplished them perfectly. And this is why it's so important, likewise, brothers, to understand this. Because although Jesus fulfilled the law, we're not to then just throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just because Jesus fulfilled the law does not mean that we aren't to obey the law any longer. But rather, now that Jesus has fulfilled the law, we are to see the law in a brand new light. We are to see it as fulfilled by Christ. Right? And that we cannot fulfill it in our own actions. And yet we are to obey it. Yet we do not obey it any longer in order that we might seek favor with God, but rather we obey it out of love and gratitude to God for what He has done for us in Christ Jesus. And the greatest of all the commandments that we are to obey, Jesus tells us, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And in saying that, what I want us to see Jesus telling us is that love is the most excellent of all of God's graces. Love is that preeminent grace. Grace would not be grace without love. 
Faith would not be faith without love. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13? So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And so, brothers and sisters, I exhort you today to give love to God. Why? Because He is most deserving of it. Think about what He has done in sending His Son to be the sacrifice for sinners. It was St. Augustine who said this, The cross is the pulpit. The cross is the pulpit. And the lesson that Christ preached on it was love. So, brothers and sisters, if you do not love God, you have missed the point of the cross. You do not understand the cross. How can we not love a God who would do such a thing for us? And yet, how often we must confess we are constantly giving our love to other things, are we not? And so I encourage you, next time you feel your love turning to something else, when you feel your love shifting, think about your bleeding Savior. Right? Think about the nails in His hands. Think about the nails in His feet. Think about that pierced side of His. Listen to Christ as He speaks to your heart saying, Have we not done all this for you and yet you cannot love me? And if you do not love God and love God first, then I ask, what will you love? Because we all will love something. So is it your sin you love? Is it your possessions that you love? How sad, how sad it is for those in this world who love sin and possessions. Do you want to know why it's sad? You know why loving sin and possessions is sad? Because those things will never love you back. Those things can never bring you peace. Those things can never reciprocate the love that God has for the saints. Those things can never satisfy your soul. None of those things abide forever. But you know what does? Love abides forever. Love to God is a means by which we grow in grace. Love is a means by which we kill sin. And love also is the most self-loving thing that you can do. Remember we talked about earlier, the, the world tells us to love ourselves and to love ourselves first. Well, I, I want especially the youth here to, to understand this. That as the world tells you to love yourself, no matter how perverted, distorted, or evil, they may mean that to be. To, to be whoever you want to be, no matter how right or wrong it is. What I want you to see is, is that the world is not teaching you to love yourself and saying those things. The world is teaching you to hate yourself. You cannot learn to live from dead men. You cannot learn to live from dead men. What do the ungodly know about right living? They know nothing about it. And so instead, self-love is demonstrated in looking to Christ for the salvation of your soul. That is the most self-loving thing you can do. For only those who trust and believe have the assurance that they will dwell securely with Christ forever. And so whoever does not love God with this biblical love that we have been talking about today actually hates themselves. They do not love themselves. And so what should we do in response for those of you here who desire to love God better? Well, you need to to study God. 
You need to study God and you, and you will know all that there is that you need to know about God in the Scriptures. Right? To study God is to study His Word. Also, you are to look to the example of those who truly love God. Right? Look to the example of the angels and their love for God and how it's displayed in perpetual adoration towards God. Also, then, we have to labor after greater love through prayer. We need to be calling out to God in prayer, asking that He would increase our love for Him. Because we need to know that if you are not increasing in love for God, you will be decreasing in love. Love for God, likewise, brothers and sisters, should not be burdensome for the saints. It shouldn't be hard for us to love God. Rather, our love for God ought to be a fire that rages inside of us that we are constantly pouring gasoline upon. And you do that by coming to worship on Sunday. You do that by sitting under the preached Word. You pour that gasoline each and every day as you sit down and commune with God. As He speaks to you in His Word and you speak back to Him in prayer. By love we cling to God. And by love we never let go. And So let us, as we draw to a conclusion now, right, echo the words of the psalmist and what he says in Psalm 73 verse 25. As he says this, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing else on earth that I desire beside you. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come before you and we confess our sin this morning. We confess that we have not loved you as we ought. We have not loved you with all heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we ask, Father, that you would help us to, to love You in a manner that is pleasing to You. We thank You, though, Father, for the sending of Christ Jesus the Lord, who loved You perf- perfectly and personally and perpetually, and whose love and whose perfect fulfillment of the law has covered our imperfect love. We are so thankful for this. And we ask You, Lord, that You would cause us to, to see our, our need for You each day, to, to see our need to, to grow in knowledge of You in order that we might grow in love of You. And cause that love in us to, to be exemplified that in every single area of our life. And Lord, we ask these things in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.